Paul's journeys took him to all of the cities around the Mediterranean. He traveled a lot around the Mediterranean. He would go into the synagogues, he would go into house churches, and he would teach. And whether the people that were with him were Jews or Gentiles, he would meet them where they were. And so we see different sermons from Paul recorded in Acts starting at different launching points. We find him today in Athens, and as he goes walking around Athens, he founds an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. Now, we may see that and think, oh, how silly. Oh, those, those silly Athenians. In actuality, we worship unknown gods as well. If you think I'm lying about that, just drive down to Firewheel, and you'll see what I'm talking about. We've got a place at Firewheel that says nothing but sunglasses. And we certainly have people who worship the sun who bask in it. There are places that sell only pretzels or only popcorn, plus other restaurants there we can get. Pizza, hamburgers, sweet potato fries, fish tacos, smoothies. We worship food in this country. We are obsessed with it. There's a movie theater at Firewheel. And I think we can all agree that there's a certain amount of worship that happens around movie stars, TV stars, celebrities, singers, and songwriters. Shoes. Enough said. Enough said. Right there about shoes. Yes. We, we, we have this fascination with clothing designers because if you can make me look taller or thinner and overact that worship of food that I have, then, then I'm going to adore you. I'm going to adore you for that. But it's not just limited to what we find at Firewheel, although there's one more place that's mop, popping into my mind. There's a Dallas Cowboys store at Firewheel, and I think we can all agree about the worship that happens of professional athletes and how much they are <clears throat> overpaid. I'll just say that. But, it is, but it's other things as well. I mean, look, look, just watch television, and they're constantly telling you, you got to have a new car. you got to have the latest thing. People are obsessed with getting the newest iPhone, even though the other one still just works, or the newest computer, or the newest video game, not because they need it, but because it's just the new thing to have. And, and we also can see the opposite of the worship of food, because then we've also got nutrition stores and gyms and people who are trying to counteract all of this and, and, and worship of ourselves and, and feeding ourselves with nutrition, and then not to mention our, our extreme desire to find that, that one soulmate through matchmaking websites and all this kind of stuff. We have false gods. We have gods that we worship and we don't even know that we're doing it. And so in that respect, we are no different from the Athenians. And now having said that, I think that there's something in this scripture that we can relate to. Something, a moment of truth that we can find through this scripture. Paul tells the Athenians that I'm going to tell you about this unknown God that you have an altar to. And he tells them that the God of the universe, the God that created all of the universe, is the God that I want to tell you about. Even in that statement, it would have been a foreign statement to the Athenians. Because in their mythology, they had multiple gods that created and reigned over different parts of creation. To have one God as creator of all creation and still minding and taking care of creations, that would have been an intriguing idea. That was something that would have been foreign to them. And then Paul says 
that you are created by God, and because you were created by God, God places in you this desire for you to search for God. It says that, that God has placed in all of us this, this nature that we have to just go seeking and searching and looking for that which created us, Look, looking for that thing that, that brought us into being. And so even in, within each of us, we just have this human nature to search for God. There are many 12-step programs in our society, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous, there's more than that, but all of them have something in common in that the participants need to recognize that there is a being higher than them, that there is a higher power than them at operating here within the universe. And for us, we, we give that the name God. For others, they, they give other names. But it's recognizing that within you, you do not have the strength to overcome the addiction on your own, that you need this higher power to help you and to strengthen you with that. So even in, in this arena, they, they recognize that there is something out there that can help and that can be with them. As Christians, for us, that's God or Jesus for the Athenians, they didn't know what it was. For Paul, it was God saying, this, this is the creator that you have been built to search for. And we search for that God. In creating an altar to an unknown God, the Athenians were hedging their bets. They were hedging their bets. They were playing it safe. Just in case there was a God out there that they would offend by not worshiping this extra God out here, they were, they were just sort of playing chance and, and just sort of putting it out there. Mathematician and philosopher Blaise Pascal came up with what is known as a Pascal wager. And it says that each person must decide whether God exists or not. And each day we make a wager on whether God exists or not. And Pascal argues that the rational person will always wager that God exists. Because if you wager that God exists, but God does not actually exist, then all you're risking is finite things, some luxuries, some pleasures. Your, your risk is, is very, very low. But if you wager that God does exist, and God does in fact exist, then what you gain is an infinite gain of eternal life in paradise. And what you're risking is eternal separation from God. So the rational person is going to choose that God exists. That's what the Athenians were doing. They were hedging their bets. I don't believe in Jesus Christ because I'm hedging my bets. That's not a bet for me. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and my Lord and Savior because of the changes that it makes in my life, here and now, what that faith does for me, how I can see things in my life. So as Christians, to us, it's not about hedging our bets. We don't worship an unknown God. Our God has a name whether it be God, Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For us, it's not about hedging bets the way the Athenians were doing. For us, it's certain. Why are we searching for God? Paul says that we are searching for God because God created us, because it's this innate desire in us to seek God out, to find that which created us, to find that which loved us into being. But I think there's other reasons that we search for God, and, and one that came to my mind this week is that we're searching for purpose. We want our lives to actually matter. 
We want to have meaning in our lives. We want to know that when we leave this place, that someone will say, you made a difference. You made a difference in my life. My life is better because you were in it. We search for that purpose. We search for that meaning. It makes me think of the movie Forrest Gump. Such a good little movie. In it, we have a man whose intelligence is subpar, and nobody expects a whole lot out of him, but he seems to just fall into circumstances, fall into situations in which he gains riches, in which he gains celebrity, in which he meets some famous people, but for him, it's not about that. He's just sort of happenstance falling into these things. But a theme that runs through that movie is his search for the love of his life, his search for that. But behind that, I think we can also see he is searching for his life to have meaning. He is searching for his life to have purpose. We see that in him, that he is searching for that life, that he is searching for that purpose. I see it in my own father since he retired. Since he retired. Trying to find what is the purpose of his life now, that he's no longer working. And the days when he's busy, he's good, but the days where he doesn't have anything on his calendar, he struggles with that. Why am I here? What is my purpose? What is my meaning? I think it can be safe to say for all of us that we are searching for whatever this purpose and this meaning is. And boy, public relations and marketing companies, they know that's what we're searching for. And so we have all these ads telling us this is going to satisfy that need that you're looking for. This is the love that you are looking for. This is what's going to satisfy your heart. And they throw all of these things out there and they play on our emotions to get us to buy things that we don't need for trying to satisfy this hole that's in our heart. But God fills it with God's love. And God fills it with God's grace. God created us planted within us the need to search for God, to seek for God. And Paul says, God is never far from each of us. When Paul talks about God creating the world, he's talking about the transcendent nature of God. That's the fancy term, the transcendence of God, that God is everywhere. But then God says, Paul says that God is not far from each of us. That's the imminent nature of God. That's the imminence of God. That's the God intimate here and present with us. We have a God that is both everywhere and right here. Right here with me, right here with you, right here with you. That God is both here and here. We experience that, that intimate, imminent nature of God in what we, we name the Holy Spirit. That is God present with us. This is the God that we search for. This is the God that we can find. This is a God that's wanting us to find. I recently read the autobiography of Helen Keller. Helen Keller was born and raised in Alabama in the late 1800s. At a very, very young age, she lost both her sight and her hearing, so she was blind and deaf. Once she learned how to communicate with sign language and once someone taught her how to speak well, she went on to become a published author and a public speaker and an advocate for individuals with disabilities, specifically those without sight or hearing. But I learned some things in her autobiography. I think I had forgotten that she went to college, but I'm not sure I ever knew that she actually has advanced degrees, that she had advanced degrees in college. And for a woman at that time, and with her, I mean, it's just amazing. But what captured me in her autobiography is how she described the world around her. In reading how she introduces scenes and things that are around her, it's vivid. She uses colors, colors that she 
might remember from her childhood or, or maybe is, is going off what someone else is telling her. But she can tell you what season it is by the smells of the plants in the garden. She loves nature. She loves the outdoors. And she can tell you exactly where the plants are, are in the garden. And she knows when each one is in bloom, and that's where she goes through texture and feel. She can sense, and she can smell, and she knows what's there. She loved to climb trees as a child. They would often find her up in a tree. And she liked to go by the riverbank to hear, well, not hear, but she could sense the flow and the coolness of the river going by. And, and so here is a woman that is devoid of two of her five senses, and yet it's nature that she connects to. And it's through the outdoors and being in creation, experiencing both birth and new life and death at the same time in creation. When she got older, she corresponded with a pastor. And if I, if I remember correctly, I think it was a, bath, excuse me, a Methodist minister, a Methodist bishop that she was corresponding with. And they would have conversations about theology and about the Bible and, and these things. And she said in one of those letters that she had always known that there was a being out there, a supreme being out there, something higher than herself, but not until she corresponded with this minister did she know that being's name. And that name was God. Her connection with growth and life and movement in space through the outdoors and through God's creation, she knew, she knew that there was a creator. She just needed somebody to tell her. What was the name? God created each of us. God implanted in us a desire to search for and to seek out God. Our God is not an unknown God. Our God has a name, be it God, Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We know who that God is that can fill us up in a way that nothing else on this earth can. May we all search for God. And when we do, may we find God. And when we do, may we find faith in Jesus Christ. And may we know each day that God is never far from us, that God is right here with us. Not only can we search for him, we need to find him. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.